You know, as many of you know, I, um, I have uh, two boys. They're uh, nine years old and ten years old. We had them close together, uh, which has been a great benefit um, in some ways. In other ways, uh, <laughs> it's why we look old. Uh, uh, it, they are uh, rambunctious and uh, uh, tussle quite a bit. Is that a word now, a tussle? Don't say that very often. But um, I'm thinking of, sh- of uh, throwing a shower for my wife and I. Um, I know that happens usually, uh, you know, when you have a baby. Uh, and I'm not making any announcement here, by the way. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're about halfway through, I think. You know, we, our kids are 9 and 10. And I guess, you know, if they, you know, if all goes as plans, they'll go to school when they're 18 or so and move away. And, and uh, so we're about the halfway mark. So, you know, when you, give a, when you have a baby shower... You get things like bottle warmers and uh, uh, that, you know, warm up the milk. You have monitoring systems that help you, you know, uh, keep in touch with when you're having a, a great night's sleep to make sure you're woken up uh, from that, you know, when the baby uh, cries and blah, blah, blah. And so, but, you know, those gifts, they, they wear out after a few years. And so I'm thinking, hey, I'm halfway through. I could use some more meaningful gifts. And um, so I was thinking, you know, let's say I registered, just hypothetically, I registered like at Amazon or Target or something like that. I was thinking, boy, if I threw myself a shower with kids my age, about, you know, at the 50-yard marker, uh, what kind of gifts would I put on the registry? And I think, well, here's some that, you know, would make complete sense. I've always wanted one of these. Um, They're noise cancellation headphones. That have a speaker on them because, you know, when you're in the car with kids, particularly boys at our age, you can't fit a word in edgewise. There's always some ruckus going in the back. So I can just imagine like, hey, uh, hey how, uh, how's it going back there over there, honey? You're doing all right? Over. You know, and then we, I could talk to my wife and we'd need two sets. And some of them, you know, they have a percentage on them. Like it cancels 75 percent. I'm going for the expensive kind just in case, you know, the 100 percent don't want to hear a thing. They could be having a campfire in the back of the van. No problem. I can still talk to my wife. Here's another one. My, uh, the kids came in the other day, and I uh, said, hey, Dad, we're out of milk. I'm, I, again? I mean, I'm going through a half a gallon of milk every single day. These guys, I'm thinking they're pouring it out. They're, so I'm like, hey, this would make the perfect gift for my kids. You know? <laughs> hey, Dad, we're out of milk. Hey, no problem. Bessie's out back. Go pull you a cup. You know what I'm saying? I don't, is that what they call it? Pull? I don't know. I don't know, I've never had a You know, just throw out some grass once in a while. It'd probably be cheaper than a half a gallon of milk every day. Finally, you know, uh, because they're always in the something, as a parent, you know, you'll know if you're a parent that it seems like you're always resolving issues. You feel like, man, there's a play. you got to make a call. So I'm thinking, I like this, the whole set. I want the hat, the shirt. I want the flag and the whistle. Because when things are going, I could just toss that up, you know, call the play. So when, they, when the boys, you know, they're having their deal and they're, they're disagreeing about something, what color Lego they got or who's got the bigger this, that, and the other and all that jazz, if you're a parent, you know what the next question is. Who started this, right? You always want to know what the origination of the issue is is and who it was and and then you got to go through layers and and it's like a it's I feel like a referee and you're trying to get down to the to the beginning because beginnings matter that's where we're landing this mo- this morning beginnings matter the origin of things matters to us what we do at the beginning it really means something i like these shows like antique uh, road show and you know, they bring out these old things you know these antique things 
And the value of these items is directly attached to where it came from and when it was created, when it was invented and all those things. There are some times that they'll have an item on these kinds of shows and they think, well, this, it looks real, but it's not actually real. It's not the real deal. It, 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 was, it looks like it came from this company, this manufacturer, this artist, whatever, but it's not. It's just a replication. And all of a sudden, the value is pretty much worth nothing. I don't know if you saw last week on 60 Minutes. They had a piece about a, a, an artist. He's an he's a unbelievable artist. His name is Wolfgang Beltracci. Now, Beltracci can uh, replicate the styles. This is a picture of the guy. This is, a, this is a painting, by the way, that he created in the style of a very famous artist. He's able to replicate the styles of these master artists, Rembrandt and um, Van Gogh, all, all these artists. And what he does is he goes out and he finds old canvases that are already painted on. They're, so he'll buy a, at a yard sale. He lives in uh, uh, Germany and he'll find the, these canvases. Uh, and so the canvases themselves have the age. Then he's got a technique that he can wash all the paint off those old canvases, but they're still old. And then he replicates, not like the Mona Lisa, but something in the style of the Mona Lisa, of, uh, of a Rembrandt or whoever it may be. This is not the true artist. This is an, uh, the one that he did. Then what he does is he acts like he has discovered a new painting from Rembrandt. So it's not like he's copying a Rembrandt exact picture. He's copying his style. And it's remarkable. They showed the, the, his works. He's done hundreds of works. Uh, he sh they showed his works. Like he, if you walked in the museum, now I don't know mu that much about art and I couldn't tell, but even the experts, the, the auction houses, uh, Sotheby's and all, all these big auction houses, they, they, they thought it was the real thing. The problem was he started selling them as if they were the real deal. The Van Goghs and, and, and the Rembrandts. And, and so he said, oh, you know, I live in Germany. And I, I uncovered this new work by, uh, by this artist. He made tens of millions of dollars. Until now, he's serving six years in prison. <laughs> because he was caught... And all of these people feel ripped off. Famous people like Steve Martin, I, I read, uh, bought a piece of his for $860,000, thinking it was the real deal. They invested in the wrong origination. They thought it was something, and it really wasn't something. In fact, I was reading about this in an article this week, and, uh, uh, and it's just amazing how this guy got away from it away with it and all he was doing was faking the origin of these paintings i don't know if you notice or not but human beings are very passionate about finding the origin of how things started there is a quest for the human psyche the human spirit to find out how all of this began, how creation began, how the universe began, how the human race began. And I have a picture, in fact, today to show you. This is the, what's called the Globe of Science and Innovation. It's located near Geneva, Switzerland. Near this 
location underground, there is a, a, what is called the, uh, the um, Hadron Collider, the Large Hadron Collider. This operation uh, near the border of France, which is underground, they inv- scientists invested $10 billion into this operation as a quest to find out how the universe began. Some of you may understand or be familiar with the term uh, Higgs boson. It was at this uh, location that the Higgs boson was discovered. It's been called the God particle. They believe that they have discovered the beginning of this entire universe, and it all began with a particle. In fact, I read an article this week that says these words, the Higgs boson, helps explain why matter has mass and therefore why we're all here. Oh, good news. Now from a particle, I know why I'm here. That's excellent because I didn't before a particle showed up. The Higgs boson became known as the God particle in physicist uh, uh, Leon Lederman's book, The God Particle. If the universe is the answer, what is the question, Alex, for 500? Um, What? The more we discover about these things, the more we, we, it's confusing in my mind. That the whole world began as some natural explosion, the Big Bang theory, as it were. That things evolved to where they are now. Now listen, I understand fully that today I'm preaching to the choir, I'm speaking to the choir. I'm not going to take the time to convince you of Uh, creation versus a natural beginning uh, as the Big Bang Theory or evolution. My assumption is in a room like this, I can can presume that the majority, if not the vast majority, uh, believe in this room at least that the world and the universe began by a creator, a supernatural uh, voicing of God's uh, words and in the and we believe fully that the first four words of the Bible explain all that we need to know that in the beginning God that in the beginning Elohim which is the tra- is translated in Hebrew as the holy other the powerful one spoke into existence the uh, the world and it came to be it's unfortunate that Christians have created an us-versus-them mentality with science. There are plenty of uh, scientists who are, have faith in Christ, and they would clearly say that science does not disregard God. It, in fact, points us to the brilliance of God. Science does not, is not anti-God. The conclusions that scientists come to at times are the antithesis of what we find in the scripture. But science is not bad. In fact, the more science we find, we're like, oh, that's brilliant. For example, this week, don't know if you you heard it, uh, Wednesday, NASA came out and said, we've discovered 715 more planets. I'm like, wow, I've lost track. I'm like, I, I, I thought we had nine, and then they discovered a thousand a while back, and then the 17, uh, seven, f- 15 more, uh, 715 more this week. I, I thought, I, I can't, and now I can't remember. Is Pluto in or not? Is it in? I, I can't, it's like, I can't, with Puerto Rico, I can't figure out. Is that, are we part or no? I'm, I'm losing track with you people. 
So uh, 700, and, and all of these planets that they've discovered have us, they're within solar systems, not our solar systems, but they're rotating around the suns. And it's just, so I look at it and I'm like, wow, that just further affirms that God's creation is amazing. It has nothing to do with, oh, therefore God doesn't exist. The question that I would ask you in this room today is not, do you believe in a creator? But in a postmodern world where every view is regarded as valid, your view is valid, my view is valid, hey, it's fine for you to be an evolutionist, it's fine for me to, be a, 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 to, to believe that it was an intelligent designer, his name was God, uh, that, that that's okay, and you're okay, I'm okay, and that's everything. Does it really matter? That's the question that I ask to us today. So you're working with someone. You have someone in your family. You're actually in a, in a chapter of your life that's at a high point, or you're in a chapter in your life that's an absolute low point. Does it matter? I mean, is this just a dry discussion that, okay, you happen to believe that here's how the world began, here's how I think the world began, and we just leave it at that? No. The question is, does it matter? I would say absolutely it matters. Now, for Christians, we would say it matters because we believe the Bible to be the truth. And we believe that God created the world. But beyond that, because when you're speaking with someone and you're having a conversation about creation and how things began, you just can't simply say, well, the Bible says so and that's it. It doesn't mean anything for a person that the Bible, they don't believe the Bible. I want to dig a a little deeper today, perhaps a lot deeper today, and say it matters for other reasons. It certainly matters because the Bible is true. But it matters because the created need a creator, whether we know it or not. People in, in life are affected. They're impacted whether or not they believe in a creator. If there's no creator in their life, I'm telling you, they are affected. Therefore, culture is affected. Therefore, everyone is affected. It matters on deeper levels as people, as persons. So today... We continue in this collection that we call Quest, because I believe that, that God has implanted in our psyche, in our persona, in our hearts, in our minds, in our thinking, whatever you, that inner part of us, these quests. And I believe that there is a quest that he has implanted in us to find our origin, a quest to find our beginning, our origin, our originating point. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, we have found that these quests are are nestled in questions that we find in the Bible. We begin today in Isaiah chapter 40. It is a remarkable chapter. Uh, This is a chapter that speaks of the details of creation and how things came to be, what God uh, what God's part uh, was in this creation. In fact, it's threaded through all Scripture, uh, God's creative powers. But today, we find both our quest and the question here in Isaiah chapter 40, particularly in verse 26. It's an invitation. It is God's invitation saying, check me out. I'm asking you. I'm inviting you. I'm urging you to check me out. The question goes like this. God says to us, I invite you, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. There is nothing wrong with astronomy. 
There is nothing wrong with the quest. We have to keep that in mind. Science, astronomy is not against God. In fact, he's saying, I'm asking you to look and examine the heavens. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? In other words, he's saying, don't look at the heavens and study the stars and the planets and the galaxies and all that to find a what? Look in the stars and the universe and all that's out there to find a who, not just a what, not just a fact, not just science, not just astronomy, but find the person of God. I find that the psalm that we read today, Psalm 95, speaks to this. David wrote another psalm, by the way, in Psalm 100 and verse 3. He says, I'm inviting you to have knowledge, but not just scientific knowledge, but knowledge of knowing God. Psalm 100 verse 3. David says this. David said, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. David said, look to the heavens in Psalm 19, because the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth knowledge, pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. Knowledge of what? Like, whoa, we found another planet. No, knowledge that there is a creator. Now listen, what I'm about to say, I believe that most of you will relate to. I'm 54 years old. Uh, as I've said before, I grew up with Dick Van Dyke on a black and white TV. Where Dick Van Dyke and his wife, whatever her name was, Mary Tyler Moore. What was her name? Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore, yes. Uh, what was her? On t- you guys are good. Are you still watching Dick Van Dyke? How do you keep up with that? When they went into their master bedroom, they were in separate beds because you couldn't show that on TV. And they had the covers pulled up to their neck because that was the standard. Just this past week, my wife and I, now we don't have HBO and and HMO and XYZ. We don't have any of those channels. Just on a regular station, we're watching TV. And a warning came up. uh, Heads up. This show you're about to watch has extreme violence and nudity. I'm like, hey, get some popcorn. This is going to be good. I'm just kidding you. I'm kidding. <laughs> What I've noticed in 54 years on the planet is this, that the way things change in our culture is that they first come and they shock us a little bit. And we say, wow, what are we doing that for? You can't change that. We got Dick Van Dyke and his wife, whatever name was, and they're in you know, black and white in separate beds. And then something happens and something's introduced. And then, then we kind of get shocked. And then that shock kind of settles down. And then somehow we get used to it. And then it becomes standard. I mean, there are commercials on my television that I have to change the, the, the channel quick. Just a commercial at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 7 o'clock at night that I don't want my boys to see because it's soft porn, basically. A commercial. You, don't you ask yourself, how did we get here? 
What happened? You know, we're, we were shocked back in the day when I grew up. If somebody was living with another person, a man was living with a wife out of wedlock, out of marriage. And now it's just kind of the norm and just becomes just now it, who doesn't do it? You don't do it. You're weird. Then in 1973, uh, Roe v. Wade, we, we legalized abortion. Before that, it was like, oh, now it becomes a norm where millions of children, millions of babies are killed. 3,000 in every, every single hour, 3,000. It's just become the norm, the fabric. Don't we ask ourselves with the legalization of abortion, the legalization of gay marriage, the legalization of marijuana, what else will be next? We're cloning sheep. When will there be a day when you say, I want my baby to have blonde hair, blue eyes, six foot three, and I want them to play basketball, and uh, I want them all to look like Steve McCoy. No, just, you know, that would be awful. <laughs> Super size that hold the mayo. And we ask ourselves, now, how did we get here? And now... My children go to a school where evolution is the norm in a textbook. We must ask ourselves, does it matter? Of course it matters. Families without fathers, it matters. It matters with, if, if, there is, if we're shaking the fabric of our country. Does it matter that children are being lost thousands every hour? Of course it does. Not because of just simple right and wrong, but what it does to us as fabric of people, of our culture, of who we are, morals, what God has created us to be. These are things that where we say, does it matter if there's a creator in the mix? Absolutely. Not just because it's right or wrong, but the effect that it has on our lives, the impact that it's making to have a creator, it matters. It matters that when we look into the heavens, we see a who and not just a what. So we're going to begin today. And this happens to be a week where uh, we're going to, uh, I invite you to take notes. This is an at group week for those of you that are new to 360. Uh, at groups are our small group ministry. We meet every other week. And uh, when we, uh, we, as I've said before, you'll, uh, if educators are right, you'll only remember 10% of what I say today. I hope you remember the good 10%. At least remember the jokes. They're pretty good, aren't they? Ha, ha, ha. We only remember 10% of what, we, what you hear, so you write it down. Then you write it down, you take it home, you go over it. Then you get to discuss it in a small group. You think, well, why is that important? Well, look, we're not just here to consume. We're here for God to change our lives and to live out what we learn. And we're not only going to do that if we remember what's being said. So this is why we say, hey, don't just consume today. Write some notes. Take some notes. Write some things down. Then when you come into your small group, you get to discuss them. They're going to stick with you. And when they stick with you, you have a chance maybe to live out a different life each time we're, we're together. So I invite you to take notes. Here's why I say that today. I'm going to present to you four things why I believe it matters, four reasons I think it matters. That people have a creator and that a creator is part of our lives rather than a particle, rather than a theory, rather than simple science without a God. You may say, okay, that's going to be cool. I, need, I, I like that. Or maybe some of you are like, well, this seems kind of dry. I'm not interested. But here's, here's the deal. If you are a follower of Christ... 
He has created and you and called you to be an instigator. It's a word that we use around here at 360. In other words, not just to take in and consume information, but God only knows how he might use you this week. There may be someone that you're going to rub shoulders with this week that that's going to say, no, let me tell you why. Having a creator is important. Listen, it happened twice to me this past week. I had no idea. I didn't have it on my schedule. Hey, make sure I meet with so-and-so on Wednesday and talk about creation. I had no idea. But they were going through something in their life where it mattered for some other human being to say, you know, it matters that we were created and made. It matters that God is in the mix. It matters to you personally. Not just right or wrong, just because it's in the Bible. But it matters to you personally. How, how do you know how God is going to use you on Tuesday? How do you know how God is going to use you in another person's life? Here's the deal. Be prepared. Be ready. So here we go. Here's the first reason why I think it's important that we have a creator. Because we have a creator... We know what we're supposed to look like. We know what we're supposed to look like. Okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, listen, I'll remind you that we're created in God's image. And we're supposed to be growing up into that image. Now, when God encountered a person, he, he often started with the end in mind. You remember he came up to Abraham. He was, Abraham was already up in years. He was already, already had his AARP card many years before. God, you know, he was biologically past the point where uh, men and women normally have babies. And yet God came upon Abraham and said, you're the father of many nations. He started with the end. Then what we're going to do is we're going to take time, Abraham, to grow into that image that I've given to you. You remember Moses, he was a, a fugitive, a herder. And God came to him and said, you who are trying to run from everything, I'm going to put you in the spotlight and you're going to become a leader of a nation. He freaked out. You remember the story? But he started, God started with the end. Here's what I want you to grow into. Peter, you're going to be, a, I know you're a fisherman right now, but you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be winner of souls. Now, you're not that right now. It's not going to happen in year one. It's not going to happen in year two. It's not going to happen in year three. But you're, you know where you're growing. You know what you're going to become. Gideon, mighty warrior. You're not a mighty warrior right now. In fact, you're a chicken. You're a weak chicken, but I'm going to grow you into it. I'm going to start with the end. We were created in the image of God. This is what we're growing into, we're told. Watch this. David came along. We're going to, we're going to focus on David. And as a commentary to David's life in Psalm 89, he did not write this psalm. Someone else wrote it about him. We see this. Once, God, you spoke in a vision. To your faithful people, you said... I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man among the people. David was the runt. He was the youngest of his family. Not eligible really to even be a warrior. But God came to him and said, I see an end in mind. I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil have I anointed him. I've commissioned him. I've charged him. I've ignited him. I've enabled him. Verse 27. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And it's exactly what he became. He wasn't this when he, he first began. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a, a king when God met him, but he grew into that. Now, here's where it plays into our lives. In the creation story in Genesis, 
God uttered these words, let us make man in our image. In other words, I've created man so that he'll look in the image of God. And that language in our image is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been created in an image that's supposed to be very, very relational. This is what we're all supposed to be growing up towards. You remember when Christ uh, prayed in John chapter 17 and verse 20. He says, look, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is us. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent them. In other words, Christ is praying for generations ahead. He says, man, this is what I'm praying for, God. I'm praying that they will grow up and look like us. I'm praying that they will be so relational, not just, you know, casual. I'm casual with most people in this room. I bet you I don't even know 50 to 75 people in this room. We see each other on Sunday morning, but I I really don't know you. There's some people I've never met. I see some faces I've never met. Howdy. Welcome. Glad you're here. That's all I got. We can't go that deep. Christ is not praying for that. He's not praying that we'll have this kind of unity and picnics and we're all getting together and, hey, it's all fun. No, he's saying, I'm praying that they will grow up into the image just like you and I, Father. Deep, relational, tight, long-term, so that they'll be close, so that they'll be life-changing. Now, guess what happens? In a culture that does not have a creator, a culture that does not believe in a creator, how do they know what to grow up to be? A particle? I mean, if, there's no, if it's a big bang, do I grow up to be a big or a bang? What, what do I grow up to? When you have a relationship with the creator, the creator says, I want you to be like me. I want you to grow up and be like me. Look at our country. Look at the absence of a creator when the creator is subtly taken out. And we don't know what to grow up to be. So we have remote controls for our garage, hoping the door will close behind us before we have to talk to our neighbor. We hope that we can have a back porch with lots of shrubs so we can't see anybody. We've talked a lot about that. This week, an article came out. We know that how we take care of our bodies is important. We know that obesity kills. We know that now. This week... On Wednesday, a study came out from the medical profession that says loneliness in those who are 50 years old and older is twice the killer of obesity. It is loneliness that is killing our country. Think about that. A country of over 300 million people and loneliness is the killer of our country. Those who loneliness is a pandemic among those who are older. There's no one to have a relationship with. Does it matter to a person if there's a creator? You better believe it is because now we say, well, let me tell you what we're supposed to be doing is growing up in a very relational image of God. It matters. Here's the second thing. Because we have a creator, we know the minute The minute details of our life are known. 
the minute details of our life are known. Do you know that people around you are desperate to be known? Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. And I want you to know my story. I want to feel important. And I should know your story. But on our worst days, those chapters in our life that are heavy, we want someone to know us. We want to know, and without a creator, how, how does anybody know what, what we're going through? Watch this. David, back to David. He says these words, Psalm 139. He said, God, you created my inmost being. Who else knows that when you cry yourself to sleep? Who else knows Steve's weakest moments, my worst days, my greatest fears, the things that make me lay awake at night? My creator knows that. Why? How? Because he created that part of me. No one else did. David said, you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I just wasn't a fetus that was some natural science experiment, God. You made me even when I was that teeny. Verse 4, before a word is even on my tongue, God, you know it completely. I mean, think about having a conversation with God. Can you imagine? So, God, I already knew. Yep, well, yeah, I knew that too. Well, whatever, right? I mean, before we even say it, God knows it completely. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You can imagine that people ask me all the time, why did this happen, Steve? This chapter right now is awful. Somebody might ask you that this week. You know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know why this or that happened. I don't know. But what thing I do know, you're not alone. You're not anonymous in this world. Because there's a creator who made the most in, inmost part of you. And the pain that you're carrying, you're not carrying it by yourself. You're not carrying it unknown. And it means a lot to people. You know, I, I came across this picture. I want, to, I want to throw this picture up. Look at this. On the left, this is the rose window window in the York Minster uh, Cathedral. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but the, the York Minster Cathedral is the largest in northern UK. It's a beautiful structure. This stained glass window uh, is, uh, this picture doesn't even come close to doing it justice. It's huge. But if you could come up close to it, there's so much detail, so much beauty in it. Somebody made this. I think, I don't think the people that work at York Minster came in for lunch one day and say, that's weird. A window just showed up. There must have been a big bang. No, there was a window maker. There was a designer. There was an installer. Some, there was a lot of work and planning that went into this. You think, okay, I'm not buying what you, I'm not sniffing what you're cooking. I don't really understand how God could really know me, that there was a maker that would have this much detail about my life. Okay, let me show you the other side of the screen. This is a view along the axis of a DNA double helix that lives inside of you. Look at the beauty. In fact, I prefer the one on the right. 
That's better than the stained glass window. In other words, God has made you geniusly from the inside out. Every little teeny fiber of you, God made and he made it brilliantly. I want to be known. Good news. You've got a creator who with great finesse and detail made you. He knows you. You remember Christ. He said, hey, consider how the lilies grow in Luke 12. They do not labor. They don't spin. They're not laying awake at night. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his stained glass splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, look, if that's how God clothes and makes and creates the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more does he know you? Will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith know that you are known. Now watch, subtract a creator from a culture and we, we are now known as the age of anxiety. The sale of tranquilizers is a multi-million dollar industry because we believe that when we lay our head down on the pillow, no one knows the troubles I know. And now I'm going to carry this whole weight by myself It's not true. Don't be fooled by the replication of truth. It's not a masterpiece. There is a master. There is a painter. He's real. He's a creator. And he knows your inmost being. Are you carrying something heavy? He knows. He knows intimately. Is your heart feel like it weighs two tons? He knows. He knows. I wonder in your life, honestly, I wonder who it is that you're sitting beside, that you're living beside, that is desperate for someone to tell them. He knows. He knows. There is a creator. He knows. Well, how does he know? Because he created your, your inside. He's the only one that can know. He's the only one. Finally, or not finally, third. <laughs> you were wishing it was finally. <laughs> I got two more hours. Okay. Third, we have the hope of repair. We have the hope of of repair because there is a creator he can fix what's broken now many of you know uh, the majority of my house comes from Sweden uh, from Ikea (laughs) if you throw water on any of my furniture it will be disintegrated in 18 minutes (laughs) I'm thankful that Ikea wasn't around in Genesis 6 when they built the ark a sucker would have sank in 20 minutes I love Ikea, easy to put together for the most part. (laughs) You can phone a friend when you can't. But there's a problem with Ikea. Uh, In fact, I brought a part sheet to show you here. I had this shelf. It was called the zigzag shelf. It, it, It went like this. And I went to hang it. The problem was that I lost 
the last two pieces over here. Now, those pieces are metal. They're metal brackets, and they got a metal dowel that sticks out. And that dowel, as you can see, it slides because they realize you can't get the shelf exactly right. You're human, so they got some sliding measurables there so you can fit the thing in. Those little brackets there with slidable uh, dowels in them, they don't sell those at Home Depot. They don't sell them at Walmart. They don't sell them at Ace Hardware. They don't sell them at Target. They don't sell them on Amazon. They don't sell them on eBay. You know how I know? Because I looked at all those places. When you lose a part from Ikea, guess where you have to go? Ikea. Ikea. you got to go back to the maker for the fix. You see, when we're broken inside, watch, we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot reach in and say, oh, I'm a broken watch. We need the watchmaker to break, to, to help repair the broken watch. You see, when you have a creator who created our inmost being, then when our heart is broken, there is only one place we can go. It's back to our creator. You might remember that David was broken at one point in his life. David's heart was broken. His inside was crushed. He had committed adultery. He would have been charged with first degree capital murder. He would have been incarcerated. He would have been all over the news. Another fallen leader. In other words, he needed fixed. He realized because he had an understanding that there was a creator, that there was only one place where he could find repair. Psalm 51 is a representation of the prayer that he prayed. Once he was broken because of his adultery, because of his murder, because of his disobedience. And he prayed these words in Psalm 51. He said, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. No one else can do it, God, because you're the one that made this part. My heart is broken, Creator, and you're the only one that can fix it. God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. The ultimate brokenness in the human experience is our separation from God because of sin. The problem is, that we now have extracted God from our culture and we believe that we can fix it ourselves. We believe that somehow we can be good enough, that somehow we can fix our sin. Ask the majority of people when I ask this question, how is it that you as an imperfect person can stand ultimately before a perfect God? How are you going to do that? The majority of answers I get is, I'm a good person. And I can, and I can, I will be good enough. I think I'm not a bad person. I'm not a Hitler. I'm not this, that, and the other. Uh, I'm not Saddam Hussein. I'm a good person. And now I'm going to be able to, to stand before God based solely on my goodness. And God said, you're broken. You cannot fix yourself. You need an ultimate fix. You need Christ to take your sins from you. You cannot forgive yourself through in an eternal sense. You cannot make yourself Good enough to get there. You're a broken watch. You need a watchmaker. 
Christ comes in and he's still creating. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, watch, he is a new what? A new creation. Only God can do that. Only a creator can do that. The old has gone. The new has come. Now watch 1 Peter 1.20. Christ was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. The, lame, the lamb was, that was slain from the creation of the world. Listen, this is profound what I'm saying to you. But when you look at the first four words of the scripture, we cover this in depth in our discipleship track, but I'll touch on it now. The first four words of the scripture are in the beginning, God. Before they, we have the Hebrew in its current format of how they write the letters, they had pictograms, much like Chinese or an Asian language where they, the, the characters uh, have pictures. The pictures of the pictograms of the first four uh, words of the Bible are these words, God's Son, covenant, death, written into the very DNA of the Scripture that when it begins, we are told that God knew before He even created us that we would need to be repaired. Even before He breathed into Adam's mouth the breath of life, He knew that we would be broken and we cannot find the answer, the solution, the repair of anywhere else except God. You're working with someone at work. Does it matter that there's a creator? Of course it does. Not just because it's right or wrong. Because they're broken like I'm broken. They're sinners like I'm a sinner. They're, they're a broken watch like I'm a broken watch. They're a lost Ikea part like I'm a lost Ikea part. And there's only one place to find the repair. And it's in the, it's in the heart of of the creator. Does it matter? Of course it matters. Where else will people find the solution to the problems they have? Finally, because we have a creator, we know the beginning is our end. You see, if we began as a particle, I guess we end as a particle. If we began naturally, I guess the end is natural. If I just am a, a biological being, then when the biology is over, then it's over. With the Creator, there's a different story. David said in Psalm 21, verse 4, The king asked for, your, for life, and you gave it to him. The length of days and forever and ever. His son Solomon said these words, the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. You see, the challenge is that those who don't have a creator in their life have no hope for tomorrow. They have no hope that there is any life beyond this life that it just ends. For those of us that have a creator, we say, oh, it begins and it ends with the same person. Watch, Christ prayed in John 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. To see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. People were troubled when Christ said, hey, my life on earth is over. He said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. 
Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there, Christ said, to create a place for you. Good news. He's still creating. He's still building. He's still making. He's still preparing. I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Who has this hope who doesn't have a creator? Does it matter? You better believe it does. People that you work with, live with, play with, they have no, many of them have no hope. We have a creator that says, I'm still creating. I'm preparing a place. And Christ was with me in the beginning. He's there at the end. And I'm taking you. Watch this. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, believers, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And finally, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has created has prepared for those who love him. Does it matter that our culture, that people in our culture should know what to grow up to be? Of course. Does it matter that people understand that when they're broken, they have a place to go to? Does it matter that the person that you work with, that they understand that they are known? Does it matter that we have hope? Of course it does. So, let me go back to this painter, Wolfgang Beltracci. Here's how he got busted. This guy would do amazing levels of research of how to fake these paintings. He would go back to the age and determine which, which color of paint was used. And he would use those exact ones so he could fool the experts. Except on his last painting... He blew it. He was replicating a picture from the early 1900s. And so he found this paint, titanium white. And he claimed that this painting was from 1914. And so he used titanium white paint. Small error, big mistake. The guy that busted him was a German fellow, expert. I saw him on 60 Minutes. Fascinating. He had this painting up and he was had this microscope going over every just inch of this painting. And there he found it. Whoa! Titanium white. The jig is up. His name was Yench. This guy, his name was Yench. Yench was asked this question. How in the world did this guy get away with it? I mean, experts, auction houses, this is what these people do. They're experts at trying to find a fake. How in the world? It's the same question that we ask of our country. How in the world did we get to this place where God has insidiously been extracted from our culture, from our textbooks, from the public, where now so many young people believe there is no creator, that we've just come because of a natural bang that happened By the way, that mathematical computations would say is so off the chart improbable, could never happen. And yet thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have bought the fake painting. How did that happen? So this guy was asked this question. How does this happen, man? How did he get away with it? Watch. So 
How did so many art experts fall for Beltracci's rubbish for so long? Jens traces the failure to sloppiness, laziness, and in some cases, a powerful desire to believe. Man, I've got to find out. We're so knowledge-hungry in this culture. The Beltracci's cleverly exploited the blindness and the gullibility that pervades the high-stakes world of art. Where connoisseurship and provenance, I had to look that word up, it means the origin gets lost in the frenzy of excitement over a new find. Ooh, 715 planets. God said, dude, there's 10,000 you don't know about. It's just a new little piece of information. Listen, I'm afraid that when I answered honestly, how did we get here? I would say it's because of those that have a creator in our life. We haven't held the line. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's sloppiness. Maybe it's laziness. You see, we have a creator. It's our job to say so. So let me end with this little experience I had yesterday. Every other Saturday, I do one-to-one hangout time with my boys. So my youngest boy, third grade, nine years old. We went to shoot some hoops together. Then afterwards, we went to Panera. We were having coffee together, literally. How did we get here? <laughs> I said to him, man, what a, what a beautiful day outside. Yeah, it is. I said, God made that day. You see, it's my job. The textbooks are going to teach him something different. You see, I don't believe in like, oh, let's, let's be afraid. No, you, 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 you'll hear that, but it's my job as a parent to tell you that God made this day. And he said, you know, Dad, nine years old, third grade. I was talking to my friend at uh, school this week. He believes in the Big Bang Theory. I'm like, he's third grade, for heaven's sakes. He believes in the... the the Big Bang Theory. But I talked to him about God. And now Lex believes too. Oh, that we'd have the heart of a child. Not inhibited with all of our stuff. All of our fear. All of our junk. And see our friends and say, Hey, Lex just hadn't caught up to it yet. There's a creator. There's something, there's someone that makes a difference. There's someone who knows you, someone who cares about you, someone who can fix you, and someone who has created and is still creating a destination. Does it matter? Of course it does. It matters to third graders. It matters to adults. So I took my phone. I said, oh, let me, let me uh, watch this. Job 38. I'm sitting there talking to a third grader about Job 38. I'm like, look at this. God says, hey, do you know where the store, the snow is kept? It's in storehouses. You know, the, the way of the lightning, I saw his little eyes get big. It's our job. I cannot allow and leave my son to the textbooks that don't have a creator in them anymore. And neither can you. It's our job. It's our privilege. It's our responsibility. Does it matter? Does it matter? Of course it does. Father, thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, that we have a creator.
Not God so that somebody's right or somebody's wrong for heaven's sakes. We have a creator, God, because we need you. We are created. Those who are created, whether they know it or not, have such a deep, profound need for you, God, O creator. There are those around us, God, who have subtly lost their sense of origin. Will it matter in their life, God? Of course it will. That's not the question. The question is, will it matter enough to us to tell them? I pray, God, for your church, privileged to have lifted our eyes to heaven and to know who created these things. There's not a person in here, God, to whom that has been revealed and embraced that isn't thankful that of all people, God, we get to see that and know that and understand that. We're thankful, God, that somehow you've opened up our spiritual eyes that we can that we've embraced this truth, but it's not enough. And it's not enough, God, for us to to just keep this to ourselves. Our mission, God, is not to prove others wrong. Our mission is not to go into this world and just say, because the Bible says so, that's just the way it rolls. Our, our mission, God, is to have the same compassion you do and to look at those around us and know that many people in this American culture don't even know what they're supposed to grow up to be. Many people in this culture proven by the, the, the billion-dollar industry of, of pharmaceuticals and tranquilizers, God, just screams out to us that they're carrying too much by themselves, that they want to be known, that they're in need of repair and perhaps don't even know it, who have no hope beyond this, who have somehow bought into the fake painting that life ends when we take our last breath. Oh God, I pray that you'll stir compassion in our hearts, Lord. I pray that we'll be compassionate enough to see this need in others. And like a little child, to say, oh, I, I, I'm going to, I've got to share this with you because I love you, because you're my friend. I pray that for your church, God. I pray, God, for those in this room that are carrying something heavy. I pray without a shadow of a doubt based, God, on what you've said in your word, that they will feel feel known, that they will know, God, that they are known, that they are not carrying this by themselves. That you created, God, not only this vast universe, but our very DNA, which, by the way, God, is brilliantly gorgeous. And you've created our inmost being, God. You've made us, and we need you. We need you, God. I pray, God, for those who have not become a new creation in Christ, 
I pray that they will today, that your spirit will move in such an irresistible way in their lives. And finally, God, I pray that you'll hear our voice. We're so grateful that we have a creator and that we know our origin. We're so appreciative for letting us know these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.